Mary and the fear not that came from the angel be honored among women angels by being means by which Savior of come. So the idea there, the principal thought was fear not, but trust. So today we're going to be looking at the other side of that story, if you will. Mary and Joseph, we're going to be looking at Joseph and are going to be thinking, fear not to obey. Fear not to, um, as we'll see, Joseph doesn't have a voice in the scriptures. There is nothing, absolutely nothing recorded about anything that Joseph said. There is a lot. So we're going to be looking at man that I would consider actually to be an extremely important part of the God's entire plan of salvation, as we'll see. So we're going to be looking at lessons on obeying God from Joseph, who is described as the son of David and the husband of Mary. So whereas Luke, the emphasis on the uh, incarnation story is on Mary. Matthew emphasizes Joseph. So let's turn there, and we're going to read a few portions uh, from chapter 1. And uh, much like Mary, there are several different scenes that we'll be looking at with Joseph, different scenes from what we saw with Mary, of course, but still... uh, uh, Different aspects see him carrying out what God has told him to do, emphasizing his obedience. So we'll start off right with the first verse of the first chapter, because it gives us the uh, foundation for this. Starts out, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. And then we have... A whole lot of uh, guys begetting a whole lot of other guys down through many generations. Fourteen generations from Abraham to David, we're told in verse 17, and 14 from Babylon to the captivity and until the Christ, another 14. They're all not listed here in Matthew's genealogy, but we end up in verse 16 with this statement, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. We thought uh, this morning, again, somewhat of the miraculous fact that he would be born of a virgin. And this verse gives us extra support for that, because through the genealogy, it's one begot another, one guy begot another guy. And there are, of course, four women mentioned in that genealogy as well. And here, it's Joseph's father, Jacob. Interesting that both the New Testament and Joseph and the Old Testament, Joseph, both had fathers named Jacob. But uh, Jacob begot Joseph, but it doesn't say Joseph begot the Christ. Joseph was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called. Christ. Again, another reminder of the fact the, uh, that our Lord came uh, into this world in a different way than any other person has 
come into the world. So we'll continue now with uh, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. I might just throw in a parenthetical here that the way things worked back then, there was generally a year uh, between the uh, kind of the engagement of the wife to the husband uh, before they would be considered married, but they were still, in an aspect of it, considered to be husband and wife even at that time. And that, uh, as we'll see, that if that wasn't going, that wedding, marriage, wasn't going to take place, then it would essentially have to be uh, annulled by a procedure. So then picking up verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. And some versions, in keeping with our theme, for, uh, will say, fear not to take Mary, as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which the, which was spoken by the, by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Okay, the angel told Joseph, Appearing in a dream, still nevertheless a manifestation of uh, this angel, God's messenger to Joseph, and told him, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. And we see uh, Joseph's uh, obedience in that, being once he woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. It's important that we do see that Joseph was of the lineage of David because that was where the promised Messiah was to come. And uh, it's not like there could be just, you know, random people. I'm sure there were lots of descendants of David that could have been uh, chosen by God, but uh, he As he chose Mary, he also uh, chose Joseph because he was of the lineage of David. And uh, Joseph is described as a just or righteous uh, man. And because of that, because of the fact that he was and just, he was also merciful. 
sometimes we think, well, those are kind of two different one who's going to uphold all and all of its aspects, and then there's the merciful one. Well, no. In order to be considered just and righteous, there also has to be an aspect of mercy shown in him considering the best way to be considerate of Mary. His thought was her way secretly. As we seen recently in several of our remembrance meetings about the woman caught in adultery uh, from a natural thinking, well, Mary's with child. I know I'm not the father. Else, and the penalty for that, essentially being adultery because she was considered to be his wife with the customs of the day, be that she would have to be stoned. I wouldn't doubt that probably the offending husband would have been one to perhaps even take up the first stone. Joseph was a follower of the law, and you can see that as you trace his uh, little aspects that were given of his up until the time that the Lord appeared in the temple at the age of 12, that Mary would dutifully go up to Jerusalem every Passover, and that they uh, fully all aspects of the law, but although he was a follower of the law, he was not legalist. He was not who would say that the law absolutely has to be carried out without an aspect of mercy. So his thoughts were, how can I merciful, how can I be considerate to the one who I consider to be my wife? It was a dilemma for him. Well, the angel appeared to him and solved the dilemma. Because the angel made known to him that, in fact, Mary was with child, but not by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is capable of creating new life. Life as it's never been created in the history of mankind, except at the very beginning, right? So why would the angel tell Joseph not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife? Well, you see, as as you can see in front of you there, that full thoughts, she was pregnant, he knew he wasn't the would be concerned about who Mary. He was fearful of the unknown, trustworthy. So this idea of do not be afraid is not like the other aspects that we'll see in our series, not like the angel is some physical manifestation that cause that are being addressed to be of that presence. For all, he appeared in a dream. But this was a fear more of concern about life throwing curveballs, something totally not expected. So uh, he had to be told, do not be afraid. Do not be overly concerned to take Mary as your wife. So having uh, heard these scriptural and scriptural explanation for Mary being with child, he obeyed promptly and without question. He didn't say, but wait a minute now, you know, this isn't making sense to me or whatever. No. Angel told him, don't be afraid to take her. 
He put aside the thoughts that he had of putting Mary away, whether it was secretly or otherwise, and he took her as his wife, obedient to the Lord's command. Now we have a Okay, let's go read the next part, which is found in Matthew chapter 2, the second scene with uh, Joseph that we're concerned with. Had the wise men uh, visit, of course. Now, as we know, that uh, they're no longer uh, in the stable as we're given in Luke chapter 2, but they're in a house there in Bethlehem. And we read this, starting at verse 13 of chapter 2. Now, when they had departed, that is the wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, that is when Joseph arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that's Hosea, saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. Isn't it interesting that Egypt, the historical place of bondage for the nation of Israel, which in Hosea's prophecy was what was what the Lord was referring to there about his son in some aspect that Israel was his son. And so out of that place of bondage, Israel had been delivered. And yet it was a place that be, it was that same place that became a refuge to the true Son of God, who would then be a fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy out of my son. Now God could have used many ways to have protected uh, the Christ child from Herod's murderous thoughts, desires. Herod did not want anyone challenging his rule. And when told that there had the king of Israel had been born, well, he needed to try to eliminate that effect of competition to his rule. So he could have used angels, could have uh, used almost any aspect of God's power to protect his son, but he used Joseph as his. God does use people to carry out his plans, in this case, tradesmen, although of royal lineage, still of a very, from a humble little town in Galilee. Of course, we know that later he would use people to not protect his son, crucified hands of sinful men. Part of God's plan that the Savior, the one that we remember at this time of year as being the Christ child, would grow up to be Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. He would do then. And then, of course, later, people to proclaim glorious resurrection, truth, gospel, that believing on him, believing for the believing that he came, said who he was, was who he said, and that he died for purpose that he used men to proclaim that gospel. Now it is interesting also that we're told that God did provide for 
Joseph and Mary. It's not like they were sent down to this place and it was still a place of bondage for the people of Israel, for Jews who may have become refugees there because there was community of Jewish folks there, particularly in the city of Alexandria. We don't know that's exactly where he went, but anyway, it does demonstrate for us God's provision for those who are obedient. And again, we do see Joseph immediately, although it was not, would have not been in his plan. plan would have eventually been to go back to make his way back to Nazareth, but was sent to Egypt for safekeeping for the Christ child and the entire family. So let's read the next uh, instance of Joseph's obedience. And as we saw that Herod, uh, well, we'll just read from verse 16. We'll pick to give the complete story. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. God does work through people. People work contrary to God oftentimes. But those who work contrary to God's plan and purposes will not be successful. We see that, obviously, God knew that Herod was going to attempt to uh, clean house, as it were, to get at this one who he had been told was born, sorry, born king of the Jews, and his plan went for naught. Picking up at verse 19, Now when Herod was dead... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, Instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called Nazarene. So once again, we see Joseph receiving supernatural directly from God by his messenger and angel, again in a dream about direction. First he was told to go down to Egypt, not any specific place in Egypt, just in Egypt. Now he is told to come back out of Egypt and go back into the land of Israel. Again, not a specific place in Israel, just in Israel. And in each of those aspects, he was fully and quickly obedient. God's message, God's instructions. God did give him general instructions to which he was obedient. But as far as the specifics, where he was going to go in Egypt and where he would live in the nation of Israel, that he used judgment, discernment. 
Now, uh, in these last two weeks, we've seen the story of two people. Well, three people that have Zacharias. Sorry. Zacharias was muted because of his disbelief, but then and had a marvelous prophecy concerning the son that was given to him in his old age. We saw last week, speaking marvelous things, brought about that psalm which is called the Magnificat. Joseph, however, is a silent but obedient, fully obedient servant. Now, I will tell you that uh, in preparation for uh, this uh, teaching, I enlisted some help. Micah Tuggle, one of our young Bible scholars here, and uh, had him give me some of his thoughts, some of which we've already considered, actually, about uh, this aspect of Joseph and obedience. And in particular, one of the things he mentioned was about the aspect of an analysis those who work behind the scenes, say, in a theatrical production, and how important they are, even though they don't have speaking role. They're not necessarily the stars of the show. But if they were to mess up, <laughs> people would then know that they're up, right? Otherwise, they're not given much consideration. And so, in this case, you know, we see in the scriptural account that Joseph kind of disappears from the scene after the trip to Jerusalem where uh, the young man, Jesus, appeared in the temple. So there he is, fully obedient, behind the scenes in a lot of ways, but yet the protector and provider of the child and the young person that would become the savior of the world. It's also a tale of two towns, interestingly enough. Now, you look at the account in Luke, begins in Nazareth and goes to Bethlehem. And in Matthew, the emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ as king, we begin, I said that wrong. Mary was in Nazareth when she was given, God uh, provided the direction through uh, rulers of the day that they would go to Bethlehem. This account starts in Bethlehem, associated with King David, of course, the city of David, and then goes to Nazareth. Nazareth is a picture of the Lord's humility. It was the title on his Jesus of Nazareth, Jews, and in which he continued to identify himself even after he was ascended to glory. As remember Paul's account of his conversion in Acts chapter 22 when he inquired of who it was that had struck him down on the road to Damascus. He accounts there that the Lord answered, I am Nazareth. So, what are primary motivations? We'll look at the rest of this is going to be application time for us. What are our primary motivations to obey God's instructions in our life? Well, one is to show our love for the Lord. We love him because of us and demonstrated that love by dying. We might have new. We return that love to him by obeying him. That the upper room discourse on it more than one occasion. If you love me, keep obedient, not out 
idea that we are going to somehow make ourselves better than God, and certainly not for our salvation, but because our love for the one who first loved us. And we also do that, so we also follow the Lord's instructions so we can be in fellowship with him. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as he says in John 15. And then there's the aspect of we're also motivated by the fellowship, not only that we can have with God, but with each other. John in his epistle reminds us if we walk in the light, that is, if we are obedient to the light of his word, we have fellowship one with another. So those are our motivations, should be our motivations for being obedient to God's instructions. But why don't we consider, well, these are the motivations. So what are the obstacles to obedience? Why aren't we more like Joseph? Who will see we hear a message from God or we read it in his word, just miraculously provided to us as if an angel had come before us and spoke directly to us? Why don't we why don't we do what we should? Or why do we do what we didn't do? In fact I think the Apostle Paul had some thoughts about that. Well, here's just five things that I came up with and I'll let you draw the conclusion as to what the root of the whole problem is, but let's just think about a few aspects of this. Well, when we procrastinate to a command and is an aspect of disobedience. Sometimes we're just plain lazy. Just need to wake up and obey. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 13 just to remind us of that. We'll look at just a few of these things that can help us because this is the anecdote procrastination to our being asleep at the switch, so to speak. When we see commands of God and we put off following them, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And do this, of course, that there's been a whole lot of imperatives that Paul has given to us up to this point. And he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, nor in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it shouldn't be lazy in carrying out the Lord's. Well, sometimes we're just plain rebellious, right? Not so, Lord, like uh, Peter had one of the great oxymorons of all time. Not so, Lord, that doesn't work, does it? Hebrews chapter 3, we won't bother reading that portion for time, but it's a uh, the aspect of the rebellion of the people of Israel and not going into the land as they were instructed and the Lord calls them rebellious in that portion and it was because they did not obey. Sometimes we're just plain rebellious. We understand the commands and we just think we have a better way. Well, sometimes we're just plain ignorant things, okay? 
not that we are rebellious, not that we've heard the message and we're being lazy about it, but we just don't know. Well, Timothy, uh, Paul in his letter to Timothy reminds us of the uh, cure for that particular obstacle to our obedience. Where he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 15, meditate on these things, that is, meditate on the word of God, give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So if it's a question of not knowing the instructions, we have the instruction book given to us that we can consult. Well, we might be deceived. James is the book of the doer, of course, and James tells us in emphasizing the aspect that we need to have a living faith, one that works, one that does, one that follows the commands, one that is obedient. And so he tells us in uh, the first chapter of his epistle, we'll go back to 21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Sometimes we think if we just hear the commandments enough, That will be, James reminds us, that we're to not only hear the message that God has for us, not only hear the commands and instructions, but to actually do them. So we can deceive ourselves in that regard, but you know, others can deceive us. Paul had that pointed out to the Galatians, of course, the deception that the Judaizers had brought into them, and he tells them... In the third chapter of his letter, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you or who has deceived you? Who has kind of cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Thieves by our own hearts and thinking that we don't not that we do not be to be doers of God's commands, but perhaps also allowing ourselves to be deceived by others. And sometimes we're about it, about carrying out well. Does really mean that? And does to me, do these commands apply? Well, the answer is yes to both questions. It's uh, the idea sometimes is, Lord, here am I and the other guy. We need to not be evasive to the Lord's commands. Joseph didn't wake up and say, somebody else needs to take this Mary here. I'm not sure about what's going on. He fulfilled the Lord's instructions. Romans chapter 5 through 8 gives us the understanding that once we become believers, we have a new commanding office, a new boss. 
It's not us. It's not sin. It's not our flesh. We are to walk by the Spirit in accordance with God's instructions to us as given in His Word. Okay. Just a reminder in closing here of what some of the commandments that the Lord has given us to obey. First command that the Lord gave uh, once he started his ministry is found in the book of Mark. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the foundation of all obedience. We cannot seek to please God by ignoring that command, regardless of how we might keep all the other commands need to believe in the gospel. We need to be born again. And then the Lord reminds us again in the upper room, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, he repeats that several times in his instructions to his disciples. So that's kind of a general thing, right? Love him, love, love you. Well, we're given some more specifics, and I've pointed out a few places in the epistles in particular that came to my mind about that. I'd like for us, though, to just look at the ones I have underlined there in the book of Ephesians, because these are all commands that we are given, instructions that we are to obey. Ephesians chapter 4, have us beginning at verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. All these are pretty straightforward instructions. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We can stop there. We could go on, of course. Those some of the things that God tells us to do, particularly in regards to our relationships, our relationship vertically to him, our relationship horizontally to others. And then, of course, there's that command at the end of Matthew's gospel, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, etc., teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I think we might hear some more about that. Think about the shepherds and their fear not. We'll close in prayer. I'll give a couple of announcements, and then we'll have a closing hymn. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction that it gives to us. We thank you that it is indeed a supernatural message to us, the message that you have given to us 
We pray that we might be obedient to those things which commanded us to do. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that as your adoptive father Joseph was obedient to the things that he was told that you were obedient in all things, even being obedient unto the death of the cross. We thank you now that having suffered for us, having died for us, that you are now highly exalted, sitting at God's right hand, and we look forward to the time when you will come again for us. Pray that this would be soon, as we pray this in your most precious name. The way of announcements, uh, this evening we'll be continuing in the study of the book of Daniel on the Zoom connection we use for our Sunday meetings. And uh, I believe our brother Trent can for dinner, time of fellowship, and then uh, after Trent, our prayer meeting. Um, as we've been reminded, next Sunday is going to be a special presentation of forward to that, and then hearing from our brother Tim about uh, fear not to the shepherds.